Talking Tesla. Talking Tesla. Tesla. I'm not sure if like my foot should be on the brake or the accelerator. they put rings on Elon. It must be some sort of geometrical algorithm. Are you ready now? Oh, I'm sure this is math. Tom? <laughs> Robert? Yeah. Well, all right, fellas. Well, that's us How am I expected to drive a car without autopilot? So, here's the deal. You know, I'm not a good parker, Tom. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah. I just think that this is a car company that is run by super Auto geeks. Oh, yeah, the other cars are going to be stupid cars compared to this car. Tesla. You don't even have Tesla. Yep. I remember that. You've got a Model X. seen the future, and it is light pole charging. No, I wouldn't call it a screw-up. Do you like your Model X? God, it's beautiful. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for Talking Tesla 86, and somebody's missing. I'm here. So who else isn't here? Crickets. Crickets. Yeah, Tom's not with us. You know why Tom's not with us? He's at a big show. There's this big show called Essentials of Emergency Medicine, little conference. Actually, I started myself in 2002. And then um, because I got old and burnt out, Robert, I stopped doing it and sold the company. And now uh, Tom's there still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Loser. <laughs> You don't feel like regrets and missing all those people coming to talk to you? Uh, no, not really. No, it was, a, it was a great show. I poured my heart and soul into it for about 14 years, but uh, it's exhausting to put on a giant conference like that. So, Tom, good luck, brother. I know you'll do great, um, but we have to do the show without him. We I have wonder, to move on. I wonder how many things we can say about him if he never listens to the show anyway. Do you think he'll listen? No. 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 Not even on the drive back. He's going to be way too busy to be listening to the show this week. So you can say pretty much whatever you like. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I always have to start the show off with my wavy lines. And the wavy lines, as reported last week, have been improving. They have been getting better. And I've been driving on the streets and I've been using autopilot. And I've got to say, it is definitely getting better. In fact, we got a letter from Brian Anderson who suggested that maybe that NVIDIA thing that's behind the glove box is working really hard and is compensating for the errors in the camera. And I've got to say, that sounds like a reasonable thing because I haven't had a firmware upgrade. It just seems to be getting better because the NVIDIA chip is getting faster and faster and it's smoking and it's something's happening, Robert, and I'm excited. I wonder if it's because you don't drive enough. Well, I haven't, you know, that is one thing. I haven't driven a lot since I got the new car and I've only now got like two or 3,000 miles on it. That's how much I have on mine. But yours has been perfect from the beginning. Well, no. I mean, it was, it needed some training, and it's gotten better. In fact, I shot a bunch of videos on the highway, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago when I would go on a – you'd be on the highway, and the highway would start curving towards the right. Yes. And um, the car would veer – would not veer. It would, it would get lazy, and it would move towards the outer – part of the lane and it would hit the bumps. Yes. And I've got three or four videos of this and it's it's disturbing if you're near a wall, like if there's that divider wall right in yes. the middle. And that's one of the reasons why I always, when I'm setting autopilot and I'm really going to be kind of distracted, either tired or looking at my phone, I do it in the number two lane. So I have enough sort of, I don't know, margin of error. So uh, driving uh, distracted, you try and be safe in your driving of distraction. Absolutely. <laughs> you shouldn't say that out loud, even though that's what lots of people do. I think everybody does that. <laughs> I mean, that's the intention of buying autopilot is to have a car that you can depend on and that can work well. So we're going to put those videos up on uh, the Talking Tesla YouTube page. And uh, I shot a Patreon video. 
and I went through Solar Roof, but we'll get to that in a little while. But there's some sad news, Robert. You want to tell us about this? From Teslarati reporting that it's a fire. Yeah, not only a fire. It's a fire at uh, Gruber, which is a uh, sort of electric vehicle uh, repair and development organization in Phoenix, Arizona. They have a a shop where they work on batteries. So if, for example, you have a Roadster, they had like a battery upgrade kit. A lot of people use this, especially in the older Tesla community, the Roadster community, and they had a big fire. And that fire decimated like seven or eight cars. And one of those cars was the origins of everything that Tesla Nation enjoys. The birthplace thereof? The birthplace thereof. In fact, actually, they're not the birthplace, but this leads to the birthplace. So they were working on one of the T0 cars. Now, you can go to Wikipedia and look at T0, and it's this sort of not beautiful-looking two-seater that was uh, a kit car, but the original T0 that was created by the company... AC Propulsion here in San Dimas was a kit car, but they outfitted it with electric motors and they put batteries on it. Initially, it was good old lead acid batteries and they went to lithium ion batteries. And so there were only three of these T-Zeros made. And this was the car that Elon got very excited by because it was a zippy car. And believe it or not, this was 2003 and this all electric car run by lithium-ion batteries, went 0 to 60 in 3.6 seconds. That's faster than our dual-motor S does right now. Yes. Not as fast as a ludicrous P100, but but still, that was in 2003. And the guys who built the car, Alan Cocconi and Tom Gage, I believe it was one of the two of them, drove it in 2003 from L.A. to San Diego and back on a single charge. So it had a range of like 300 miles in 2003. I keep having to emphasize the 2003. And you know what kind of batteries they used in this car? Lead acid. No, these were lithium ion. Okay. What kind of lithium ion batteries do you think they might have used? Uh, Old ones? They used 18650 lithium ion batteries. What? They existed then? They existed then. What? They were mass manufactured lithium-ion batteries that you could buy in bulk right off the shelf. They worked. They were used in all kinds of products. And it makes absolute sense that you would buy something that's already proven, that's already being used, and all you need to do is pack them into a battery pack. And that's one of the things that AC Propulsion did was it made sure that they didn't overheat, that the current draw, they made the power inverters, they made all of the electronic control systems for this car. So, And then they only made three of them. So, unfortunately, when Gruber Motors in Arizona had this enormous fire, one of the three T-Zeros was destroyed. Reportedly, it was the last T-Zero. I heard that there was still another one out there somewhere that just needs its batteries fixed. Oh, that's right. There was. There was one that needed all the batteries replaced, which I guess shouldn't be too difficult. In fact, Mm -hmm. what if they put the... uh, 2170 in there there, and they got 30 percent more power and or range but another one i believe crashed and was destroyed and the interesting thing was back in 2003 both these guys kokoni and gage were uh they put out these t-zeros so many people loved them like a guy named martin eberhardt which i don't know if you remember but he was the original 
uh, creator with one other uh, fellow of Tesla Motors. And then Elon got excited about it. Both of those guys separately tried to convince AC Propulsion to produce this car. It would be a great car. We all want it. It's 2003. We want to drive electric. We want to have an electric sports car. And they decided they would not pursue it because of all the hassles and the problems. And so they actually introduced Eberhardt uh, and J.B. Straubel was in on this, and Elon, and that's how Tesla Motors uh, sort of began. And then Elon kind of watched them and took over Tesla Motors. And this is all in the history of Tesla Motors. But this this one sad event um, is the is the sort of culmination of uh, or brings us back to the origins of Tesla. A lot of fun facts in there, and I can't believe that there was the eighteen six fifty cell. List lived 15 years ago, 14 yeah. years ago. That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, battery chemistry hasn't changed much, but we're going to talk about that too. But before we get there, I've got to talk about the solar roof. So Tesla Rati um, was reporting about the solar roof, and it came out just after the show last week. And I did a little video for the Patreon people where I went online and I sort of configured a solar roof for myself and some batteries. And uh, it comes out that You know, Tesla keeps saying that this is cheaper than a standard roof. And so this is the first time we've got some idea of what the cost of this thing is going to be. And i got to tell you, I think this is way more expensive than a standard roof. So Tesla already has here, if you've got a 1,500 square foot uh, roof or building or house, um, then you can get a Tesla solar roof for $55,000. That's a lot more expensive than an average roof. Right. But again, Tesla's doing the same sort of calculation system by which they say the roof is good for 30 years. So they guarantee it for 30 years. There aren't many roofs out there that are guaranteed for 30 years, only the expensive ones, tile and metal and slate, but not asphalt roofs. Those are like 15-year, 20-year max roofs. That's number one. Number two, the roof makes you energy. And over 30 years – and again – most solar panels are only guaranteed for 20 years. Yes. And some may be 25. So here you've got 30 years worth of energy. So they're saying that we're going to make you all this energy and we're going to give you a roof that lasts uh, 30 years. But actually they said the, uh, the warranty is as long as your house is standing. Right. And Elon so followed up with like, you know, your house will be gone and the only thing left will be the roof. So uh, a few things to sort of say about it. First of all, um, they you know, we know they look beautiful. They're only coming out with uh, two to begin with, sort of the flat one and uh, the one that looks like asphalt. The really expensive looking ones, the Tuscan and stuff, don't come out until next year. These roof prices that Tesla already have here, they're equivalent to a really, really high-end roof, you know, with lots of bells and whistles. You can spend a lot of money on your roof. So I was particularly interested in just getting the cheap one and how much that would cost people. So yes, if you take in the savings that you get from the electricity, over time, over 30 years, you amortize it. And if you do as they did on the Tesla site, your cost of electricity that you pay for now, and then it goes up by 2% a year, then these roofs can save you a substantial amount of money over time. And uh, they look fantastic. And if they don't fall down, they'll be great. And on your Patre- on the Patreon video that came out this last week, you were you were showing how much money you would save over a 30-year period. So, yes, this is a long-term investment. So the problem is uh, with such a long-term investment, how do you pay for it? Right. Do you get like a loan from your bank, a one of these, uh, you know, cash advances on your house? What do you do for that? 
Right. So this is one of the sort of the hocus pocus things that Tesla did a little bit. They said, here's how much money you're going to save over time. And actually, you're going to be net 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, depending on the size of the roof you get. They based that on 2% increase in the energy cost. But they didn't say, well, if I need $40,000 to put this thing on or $20,000 or $100,000, depending on your house, how do you pay for that? They assume that you're paying in cash today, not financing it. So that will change the numbers substantially because most people don't have $40,000 that they can just go drop in cash on their roof tomorrow. Some people have. Most people can't. So now we've got a story that says Tesla by the end of the year is going to come out with a financing version of this, just like with Solar City, we presume. So they'll finance the cost of the roof and you'll amortize it over time. And instead of paying the bank, you'll pay Tesla or whatever third party. So that's good news because... A lot of people were concerned only really rich people are going to be able to afford these roofs. Now, people without so much cash up front are going to be able to afford them. Because over time, there is no doubt that this is the cheaper way to go. I've got my roof. I've got my solar panels. Over time, it's good. It's just this upfront cost. But now they've said that they're going to have this financing by late 2017, and that's good. So, Robert, I'm getting one. I told the Patreon people. I've been telling people forever I'm going to get one. I need a little roof out there. It's not very big. It's only 600 and so square feet. But if I can cover that whole thing, it'll do a substantial amount of energy for me. But are you going to get one, Robert? Are you? I'm not. I'm not because we put a new roof on our house about eight years ago. And then we had Gordon from Solar City hook us up with 17 panels and – you know, the panels are doing great. They're making us enough energy. I'm charging at least one Tesla off those panels and driving on sunshine. And I don't need to tear it down and replace it. And so I think that this really excites me because I'm waiting to find a major builder who's going to put in an entire, you know, like a um, housing tract in sunny southwest United States and put this Tesla solar roof on all of the homes. And then we're going to see some real numbers. There is a third issue about this. So not only the cost, not only the financing, but insurance. And I've been, as I do, spending way, way too much time not doing my real work and doing talking Tesla work. Excellent. And spent time on Reddit and found that there was a lady – uh, or I shouldn't say, I, I think it was a lady, but a person on Reddit who was talking about they had put in a deposit for a roof, and I believe they live in Florida, and they are having a problem because their homeowner's insurance will not cover the roof. Their homeowner's insurance says that they will cover a basic uh, roof that is asphalt roof, uh, and if you want a more expensive roof, in this person's area, you can have a rider, an additional uh, element to your policy. So if you want a slate roof or if you want a, a tile roof, then you can pay a little extra. But this one is even more expensive and it's complex. So the homeowner's policy told this person reportedly that they would not insure their roof, period. So we have a little issue around insurance. And since Tesla already worked out insurance issues in Australia, and I think maybe it was China that they're going to offer auto insurance, then this is something that, you know, a few people at Tesla are now probably going to have this fall into their lap. Oh, by the way, we need you to spend another, 
you know, 60 hours a week working on this. Don't bother going home. We're just going to supply you with Soylent and have you work this issue out with some insurance company. I didn't even think about insurance. I don't think about insurance most of the time. So, yeah, so this is going to be an expensive roof. How the insurance company is going to deal with it? We don't know uh, if these are going to leak or not. When a, What happens when a Tesla roof leaks and there's, you know, solar panels in there and microinverters? What's going to happen with it? There's so much that is unanswered. A number of people have said, Mel, please don't get a solar roof because, you know, if there's any problems with it, you're just going to whine about it and you're going to drive Tesla Nation crazy. Too bad I put my $1,000 down. A couple of other things to say about this thing. First of all, this is only going to be in California initially. They are building them in a factory here and uh, then they'll spread from there. They're going to start building them in the Buffalo factory but not – is it Buffalo? Buffalo, yeah. New York. Buffalo. And not until later in the year. So initially, California, 1000 bucks down. They say they're going to start installations in June. So my 1000 bucks is down. We'll see, and I'll take you through the process as we go. I'm not putting it on the main roof because we don't really need one on the main roof. It's just right. sort of on a garage at the back we're going to start this with. Well, it's great that you're being a guinea pig, a Tesla guinea pig. Uh, as always. Yeah. And so I actually looked up where this factory is going to be. And there's the Tesla factory, which is in Fremont. And just to the south of them uh-huh. were three large buildings owned by Solyndra. That which went broke went famously. Broke, right. Which in the presidential election back in 2012 was a big issue. Mitt Romney bagged on that. Mm-hmm. Solyndra got like, I don't know, $500 million or something like that. And went broke. And went broke. So they're, they're basically their facilities have been taken over by Tesla, both by Solar City earlier on and now again for this solar roof project. So it's like a facility that already has materials for making solar cells kind of seems... And it was thin film solar cells because they were wrapping them on tubes like fluorescent tubes Ah. and trying to concentrate and put in more solar panels per square foot. But this is a very different process. This is glass. So what do the machines look like that make the solar roofs out of glass? How do they differ from thin film voltaics? Maybe the thin films that they were putting on glass tubes now, they're using thin films and they're putting them on big pieces uh, or should say just flat pieces of glass. So you end up with solar cells instead of being wrapped on a little like fluorescent tube, you take the, gla- the the thin films and you just put on flat glass. So much we don't know about these solar roofs. And it's always interesting. I get so excited when these things first come out and then there's all these, but how much is it going to cost? And then they tell you how much it costs. Well, it's not the real cost. And then it's like, well, what about the insurance? And what about happens if it leaks? And what kind of... So much we don't know, but I'm so happy to be a guinea pig, and I'm sorry, Tesla Nation. I will whine if there are problems with it. And once once more, I have to bag on Tesla. I don't understand why they don't recognize us talking Tesla as press, but there was a press call on, I think it was on Friday uh, or Thursday, in which JB talked all about the the adhesives that they're using to glue the panels together and how they're being able to transfer the charge between panels. And he gave a lot more technical detail that the press didn't really ask detailed questions about. And so um, I think this is really exciting because I had mentioned that not too long ago I had spoken to somebody and they had said that, oh, my gosh, yeah, Tesla, um, I should say, Solar City is working really hard on these tiles and they haven't really figured out how to cool them because usually – Solar cells, solar panels sit a few inches off your Mm -hmm. roof and there's airflow. And if they get hot, they don't produce as much electricity. And evidently, they've figured all this stuff out in a very short period of time, which is sort of the uh, Silicon Valley way. So 
Again, so much we don't know. And the configurator on the uh, Tesla website is a little bit annoying because I want to get a bit more granular. And, you know, it's sort of got sliders and how big is your house and what's your zip code. And, and uh, you know, it tells you sort of how much of your energy it can replace by guessing a few things. But I want to know how many kilowatts is this system that you're configuring for me. Uh, most of the time you can't move that slider above about 60%, which is the number of those panels, number of those slates, number of those bits that are actually solar generation versus not solar generating. So we'll be talking a lot more about this as we get closer and we get some more detail. But it's out there. Go take a look at it. But remember right now that you're going to have to pay this up front to get the savings that they're suggesting on the website. We don't know what kind of financing deal Tesla will do in the future. And now we need to talk about the Tesla P100 learner program because again, you're telling me that this is not as exciting as we once believed. So last week we were talking about now when your car breaks, you're going to want your car to break because they're going to give you a P100 DL and you're going to be able to go drag racing. That's right. That would that would be the thought. In fact, many people thought that. Although last Tuesday night, I was at the Tesla Club Los Angeles meeting. Uh, twice a year, we have sort of like a business meeting. This one took place at the Sentinella Service Center. Tesla was gracious enough to give us the space. And we had a couple of sponsors come and buy food and, and wine. You would have liked it. It was Chardonnay. <laughs> Sounds good. It was good Chardonnay there. And so, uh, yeah, we had like 36 people come. It was a great meeting. A lot of... A lot of uh, a lot of things we all learn every single time. There's so much to know about the Tesla universe. And so at this meeting, uh, George Schultz, one of the Tesla Club long-term members, told about how disappointed he was when they had mentioned – we had started talking about this Tesla loaner program. And he says, wait, wait, wait. No, don't, no. Uh, don't get so excited. Cool your jets. <laughs> and he had planned when he had his car taken into service, he did it uh, thinking that, OK, I'm going to do it on this day because that night every week – at I think it's Irwindale, they do drag races for the public. You just go and you pay money and they do a quarter mile drag race and people come with like really intensely souped up cars and street cars. And he said, you know, usually the Teslas can blow anyone away, but maybe the Tesla P100D Ludacris could actually blow away some true drag cars. And so not the big fuel dragsters, but, you know, basically like souped up what Chevy Novas and things like that. And so he took his car down there, uh, his loaner car down there, and he was so excited. And when he got on the on the, the straightaway, the thing topped out at 85 and stopped going faster. Oh, come on. They have speed limited <laughs> the loaner cars, which, you know, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. But uh, that sort of like uh, squashed his big thrill expectations. So if you are getting a loaner car with the idea that you're going to go out and drag race, do it for an eighth of a mile. Well, that was an eighth of a mile because you can actually get up to about 100 miles an hour. In an eighth of a mile? That's what it in is? In the P100 Dean Ludicrous. Oh, I thought it was a quarter mile. Okay. You do one sixteenth <laughs> of a mile and you'll be fine. You'll win. But it tops out at 85. That's a bit upsetting. I bet right. you they don't top out at 85 in Germany. I wonder. I bet they do. Or maybe not. Maybe you have to pay a little extra, right? A little thing comes up on the screen. Would you like to pay a little extra to go on the Autobahn? <laughs> I don't know. Why would they top out the top speed and not top out the acceleration? I guess the whole point of having a P100 DL is to accelerate fast and to get people to buy them. Yeah, and if you if you buy a, um, a certified pre-owned P100D Ludicrous and it was in the loaner program, what's the chance that they've reached their limit of launch mode, uh, you know, off-the-line explosion 
type acceleration, right? Because there's a limitation. Well, isn't that just software based? So what we're talking about here is that there was this big thing on Reddit that people were losing their lunch over because uh, launching at full speed at the P100DL launch mode, bleep, um, after you'd done it a number of times, Tesla was basically saying, you're done here, you can't do it anymore. And they said they were doing this because, you know, this is affecting the batteries, it's going to break the motor, you can't do this too much. But it's just software limited, isn't it? Right, but they're doing this so that the motor doesn't break down prematurely. And a lot of people who own these were like, uh, that's my business, I want to do it as much as I like. But Tesla's saying, under our warranty, we don't want you to do it more than X number of times because we think it's putting too much stress on the car. Right. So, but they didn't say that up front. And I guess that's what people are. You should have said P100DL uh, 35 times. Right. Whatever it or, is. Or they should say if you're getting the, the full performance version, we are not going to in, uh, warranty the powertrain for the forever. Right? Because right now a, a regular Model S and X – have or all metal SNX have a warranty that is sort of I think it's lifetime. Yeah, it's like a million mile warranty or something yeah. silly. It's really great. But if you have a P one hundred DL and you're gonna be stressing it that much, then maybe they should say, hey, on these cars, the warranty is only X long. And and however long you would expect the powertrain to last if you're doing launch mode every day. And if you want an extended warranty, we'll sell it to you. So that's, I think this is sort of like a Tesla communications problem, which many people have talked about, including now you, if you, there was a fellow, I think it was again on Reddit, who uses his car a lot for business travel and he supercharges all the time. And he found that his supercharge rate was limited to something like 95 kilowatts per hour. Oh, it says kilowatts. Yeah, kilowatts. And so 95 kilowatts instead of like the 125, which is the limit, or 135 maybe Not on some supercharger. Not that anybody in the history of the world has ever done it at 125. The right. fastest I've ever done is 90, but go on. And so he was very upset, and a lot of a lot of material was put back and forth, as you say, on the internet. And, you know, the reality is that – and Tesla came out with a um, – statement on this, that it will affect your supercharging for a very limited amount of time. Maybe it's an extra five or 10 minutes total per supercharge session. But it's the idea that has inflamed the Tesla nation that Tesla would actually, after a certain amount of time, limit your supercharging rate. And Tesla's response was, this is so that we can maintain battery integrity so that your car will continue to work well for the future. So people are really losing their lunch about this stuff. And it is, I think, just purely um, communication issue. And I also believe that it's because these are edge cases that Tesla didn't even think of when they brought these cars out. So they come out with a P100DL, super fast car. They were thinking, this is my interpretation, that, yeah, somebody's going to do this every now and then. It's kind of fun, but you're not going to do this all the time. And then they find a few edge cases where people are doing it all the time. And they're like, hang on a minute. We never really intended this to be used all the time. Same with supercharging. We intended supercharging to be for trips when you're going on your summer vacation with your family. You're going to go up the coast, whatever. And yet there are some edge cases where people who travel a lot are using superchargers a lot. And that's not what they thought would happen. So now they see it happening. They sort of are sort of rolling it back. I don't think it was, you know, a bad thing on their part. I just don't think that anybody knew. You watch when Mercedes, when other people come along with their electric cars, it will be in the sort of the fine print right at the top. You can launch mode, but only 12 times a year. You can supercharge, but we're going to slow it down if you do it more than uh, five times a week. Because 
Tesla is so far ahead of the curve here, they're sort of uh, doing an experiment on humans and the humans are saying, in edge cases, we're going to do this stuff, so now it'll have to be a rider. And there'll be more stuff that'll come up. It'll come up with the three. It'll come up with, I didn't even think of this because people are using it in a different way than we'd expected. Right. And that's that's the nature of Tesla. They're pushing the envelope. They're not doing like whatever, extensive research and validation. And over and over, this is like skipping in the Model 3, skipping the beta production cars and going straight to pre-production cars. But this is how they push everything forward, right? Tesla has this mandate to get us off fossil fuels, period. And how do you do that? Well, if you do it the traditional way, we're all going to choke to death and the climate's going to go to hell. And I'm sorry, John, but you know, it's not going to happen fast enough. And so I believe that, you know, they they understand that the Tesla nation, at least to this point, has been forgiving enough to put up with this kind of crap and still be part of this revolution. And the other thing that Tesla has here, which other auto manufacturers haven't had as much of, is data. So they are able to see how often you're supercharging, see how often you're launching in ludicrous mode. Whereas uh, most gas cars, they couldn't tell if you're out there drag racing your car and that's why it broke. Um, So Tesla suffers from knowing too much also. And so they'll fix these edge cases. Yes, some people will be losing their lunch, but I just, I'm very interested to know what are the edge cases that will occur when Model 3 comes out when you have a million people with this car doing special super things. We'll see what happens then. Let's talk about Tesla and the pickup truck. So this is a really interesting opinion piece from Electric and Fred Lambert. Fred Lambert, by the way, is an extraordinarily uh, busy guy. He's writing on electric constantly. He's like Gene at Tesla Radio. These guys are writing constantly about this stuff, and we thank them for it. And so he says this, Tesla, could you announce the pickup truck, please? And the reason I want you to do that is because in the United States, there is a huge volume of pickup trucks that are sold. GM and Ford and Toyota sell a huge number of these very large gas-guzzling monsters. It's the most popular vehicle, passenger vehicle in the United States. They sell literally millions of them. And Ford and GM and the big boys have no plans to electrify uh, their big trucks. They're very, very profitable. And they just plan on selling these until the market goes away. And so Fred says, you did such an amazing job with the S and the X that just decimated the high-end car market. And then you come out with the three and you have 400,000 people that want the three. And that's really pushed other manufacturers to start thinking about electrifying their fleets. And that's happening now with all of the manufacturers. So why don't you do this again? Instead of waiting the 18 months to two years, which you've said you're going to wait, why don't you do it now? Because you know what will happen? You will have all of these manufacturers saying, well, we've got one coming too, and it's coming in what year? 2020. 2020. But at least push this forward. Don't wait a year and a half. Get busy. And I think that is a fantastic idea. May not be, you know, the most logical, Mm. but it's a fantastic idea. But you don't like this idea, Robert. Why don't you like it? I, everybody knows, everybody knows. I'm a healthcare provider. I I work in the emergency room. I see a lot of stressed out people. I see a lot of people with anxiety. I see a lot of people with depression. I see heart attacks. Yes. I see strokes. Yes. And I'm worried about the Tesla engineering staff. (laughs) There are hundreds, thousands of engineers at Tesla and- Fred, you're going to give these people a collective stroke. <laughs> I'm telling you. You're going to tell them you got to push harder to put out an, a, an electric pickup truck. They just got the 
freaking semi dumped in their lap. Elon <laughs> says, we're going to announce it in September. And I know, I know at least 10 people went to the emergency room after he said that. <laughs> It's true. He does like to stress his team and move things forward, but oh, it would be so nice because they could make such a sexy, powerful, amazing, and they're going to pickup truck. And if he announced and showed some nice pictures, then the other manufacturers would be going, oh my gosh. And if they said $1,000 down, there would be hundreds of thousands of people put this down. And that so. would move things. You think so? Yes. Well, I know you would put $1,000 down. Just to push the numbers up to... That's true, but I don't know how many people in Nebraska and oh, Idaho and I think if they said, "Okay, here's here's your truck and uh, here's our truck. Our truck uh, accelerates three times faster, has uh, five times as much torque, it goes uh, 350 miles," and they show a video of his truck pulling your truck uphill. Yeah, I think people like trucks because they're very practical. They're right. big. They carry a lot of stuff. They right. want a lot of torque. And if it also is really fast, so they can blow away their buddy down the street. Uh, they'll sell a lot of these trucks. I guess the other benefit of uh, uh, electric pushing this uh, on Tesla engineers is that it will help anybody who wants to buy Tesla stock because the Wall Street haters and the people short-selling Tesla will be like, oh, my God, Tesla's going to continue to lose money. Now they're going to build a pickup truck? That means we've got another two years of losses and burning cash and all of this nonsense. And I agree. It would be unreal if Tesla could capture that 17 million cars a year marketplace that Elon talked about on the earnings call. And, and, and I'm sure that Elon's trying to push it as fast as possible, but he's only pushing it as fast as physics will allow. He is a physicist. Yeah. After all. Yeah. So uh, we don't expect that uh, we'll see it anytime soon. And speaking of the stock price, let's find out what it is and then uh, let me have a little bit of a complaint. Hey, Google, what's Tesla's stock price? As of 12.04 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time today, the price for Tesla stock on NASDAQ is $318.03, down 2.09% from last Friday. So Tesla's stock peaked at around 325 I think, uh, late last week, and then it's sort of come down a little bit. Analysts are all over the place, and I just want to say, is this thing on? <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to analysts. The analysts right now are all over the place. So the guy from Morgan Stanley, I can't remember his name, Jonas, I think it is, has gone from Tesla's going to be $1,000, and now he's like, ah, now I'm concerned it's not going to be that much, and uh, so they're downgrading it. Another analyst have Tesla stock aimed for $190. Right. It's already 325 So they are all over the place. Yeah. So I don't know how you decide whether you should buy stock or not. I don't think you should listen to analysts. I think if you really understand Tesla, if you understand the size of the business that it could be, if you understand the risks, then you can invest your money with some sort of understanding that this could go huge or it could not. But the analysts, you'd be buying it one week and selling it the next, buying it next week, selling it. They're all over the place. And I think if you really understand Tesla, if you listen to shows like this, you probably understand the business model way better than some of these analysts do. They're all over the place. Yeah. I, they don't look quite to the future. They're looking for more hard, concrete uh, developments and facts. And the reality is that Tesla is built on not only uh, the future of technology, which is iffy, right? We don't have any guarantees that the engineers are going to be able to complete the Tesla semi. But it sounds good. It seems like they're doing a good job. And Tesla is, uh, you know, scooping up and attracting engineering and design talent from all over the world. And they've got SpaceX 
technology that they can sort of feed off of and solar city technology that they can feed off and this sort of synergy of all of this uh, engineering know-how is another one of those things that the analysts they just don't look at that because it's so paradigm shifted from the from from what they're used to um, so all I can say is that you know I'm long Tesla I it just hurts me though to think that I'm gonna buy I might be buying Tesla in the three to four hundred dollar a share range that seems like that seems ludicrous <laughs> it was five minutes ago that was like 120 bucks i would say this and i don't own any tesla stock because of this show but if i had a hundred thousand dollars and i had a hundred thousand dollars that i could basically gamble i could lose and it wouldn't hurt me very much i would put a hundred thousand dollars into tesla stock next time it sort of dips a little bit because i truly believe that if it works tesla is going to be the biggest company in the world in five to ten years but I would put that $100,000 on Tesla also knowing that with a few missteps, I could lose almost all of it. That's how I would be thinking about buying Tesla stock. And maybe that's true for everything. No, it's probably not true. You buy Disney stock, you hold over the long time because there's always going to be pretty mermaids that will make some money and you'll get a dividend. Right. But in Tesla, I think it's a bit of a gamble. They could go huge, as we've talked about for months and months, but also a few missteps. They're going to run out of cash. And things could go bad. Just understand that if you're buying Tesla stock, and particularly if you're listening to the show and like everything is great and wonderful, it kind of is, but it's very dangerous. Let's talk about Model 3 margins then. Let's sort of boost you again to buy some more stock because Electric says that if Tesla can keep the Model 3 at about a 25% margin like it is with sort of Model S and X, then they say that this is a game changer because there's another analyst – I've just said that you shouldn't listen to them, but this guy <laughs> from ISI uh, Evercore says, uh, look, it took Porsche 10 years and four product lines to go to from about 35,000 units to 100,000 with four different product lines. How many years? 10 years. 10 years. Tesla did that uh, with about three years. And it would be this giant game changer if they can continue to have about a 25% uh, margin on the number of units that they're about to sell. They'll be selling, say, four or 500,000 units, 18 billion in revenue, 4 billion in gross margin, and that would be a game changer because the auto industry just doesn't do that. But Can they do that? But they're not going to pay any dividends. That money is not going to go back to the shareholders. That money is going to be invested in the Model Y plant, in the Tesla Semi plant in the Tesla semi-repair structure, it's like you're never going to see – you're never. I don't know. Never is not a good word to use. Never say never. It won't be a long – it will be a long time before you see any of that money coming back at you. It's all being reinvested. Now, there is another company that is very much like this that you're seeing at the – starting to move to the other end of this situation. So taking money, reinvesting, not caring about the short game. And it's called Amazon for years. Is it 20 years now? It's a lot of years. Bezos has basically been taking all the money and reinvesting, making no profit, making no profit, making no profit. And now, I don't know again how many years it is, 15 or 20 years later, now you're seeing that Amazon totally dominates the market. And it's sad because you're seeing retailers die because people use Amazon for everything. There is a dial in his office. And one day, when he owns everything, Bezos is going to turn the dial to profit. And all of the money, except for the money that Tesla has, is going to come pouring out of that machine. They are massive, and it's been that same long game that Tesla is about to play, which is we don't care about profits next year. 
We don't care about profits two years from now. We're going to reinvest because there is a much bigger market here. And we heard on the earnings call that Elon really doesn't really care about um, profit. He cares about the changing of society, which is uh, really difficult for people who are investors to get their head around. Right. Especially when so many other companies are using every excuse and or every delay tactic to keep this from happening. Now let us talk about the boring company. Tess Arati has a little article here, and uh, guess what? The digging is well underway. There are pictures of the machine being loaded into the tunnel, and unfortunately, he did not call this machine Diggy McDiggy Face, <laughs> which is really what I'd hoped. But it's called, now, I don't know how to pronounce this. Is it Godot? Godot. Godot? Godot is an author. He wrote a play. I've heard about this play many, many times. I'd never heard about this because I'm such well, a sheep herder from the outback. He, he didn't write a play. I'm sorry. The play is called Waiting for Godot. Waiting for Godot. Godot okay. is this imaginary character yes. who's supposed to appear, and there's all this anticipation, and the actors are all sort of talking about it. They're all waiting, and they're waiting, and he never appears, or it never appears. And it's been rated by some people as the greatest English language play of the 20th century, and I've never <laughs> heard of it because I grew up as a sheep herder. In the outback. In the outback. And oh. I have not been to a play in 35 years. We should go to a play. I just don't enjoy them. I really? like movies. Oh, my God. There's so many great plays out there. I just – sorry. Anyway, that's what he's calling it. And uh, he's been Instagramming the poopy out of this. He says – look, here's a, some video of my electric sked that I was being telling you about. You know, this is the thing that's going to sort of drop down into the tunnels and then it's going to go on 125 miles an hour. And they show a video of it. And it is nauseating. It goes faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster, faster. But I think this is just basically the Hyperloop, isn't it? It is the Hyperloop. Yeah, it's just I'm the Hyperloop. I'm convinced because I sent out a tweet. And if you look at the video, it's like a 33-second long video where the sled just goes faster and faster and faster with the lights that are sequentially placed down the Hyperloop. And you'll notice that at um, 23 seconds into it, there's a window. There's light streaming in from outside, and this is the Hyperloop. It's not been depressurized. Uh, it's just the actual tube. And so they're using the tube to develop the sled, which, again, is another crossover of the expertise and the infrastructure. And I'm sure that some of the people who are working on the Hyperloop project are now the ones who are in charge of the Boring Company project. Yeah, so he sort of made it sound like, oh, we've actually built a big tunnel underground and we're really testing it. But they're basically just testing it in the Hyperloop, I think is the best guess. And you're right, there is lots of light coming in. So that is almost certainly the Hyperloop. Now, he did say that he wants, and he showed some fun pictures. He said, we want to get these boring machines to be 10x faster than they are now. In fact, they want them to be faster than Gary, his pet snail, who is from, uh, what's the show? SpongeBob. 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 So he's on the Instagram page. There's a little Gary in a little in a jar there, and I was wondering, hang on, how fast do snails tunnel? And you Mm. know what? I can't find the answer. I did find that snails move on ground at about zero point one miles per hour, or forty three hours to get a mile. Yeah, that sounds about right. And uh, that's not that fast. In fact, it's a snail's pace. (laughs) Ha. But I don't know how fast they go underground, but I really want to know. I want to see how fast potentially this boring could occur. And I guess the only way to answer that is to find out how fast the average snail does dig 
underground. I don't think snails dig underground, but if Gary truly does go at 0.01 miles per hour and it takes 43 hours to cover a mile, then current boring machines take 602 hours to bore one mile. So I think speeding things up is important. And if you saw on Instagram, Elon put out how the he showed the boring machine when they had turned it on. And somebody says, you know, make it go to maximum. You can hear that kind of voice in the background. And this thing is like turning at a glacial pace. (laughs) Yeah. So it's kind of disappointing what tunnel machines do. And it's very exciting to think that Elon and the engineering team have figured out how to make them actually work at a usable speed to put tunnels all under the Los Angeles. And the first one is going from SpaceX to LAX, LAX. to Culver City, to Westwood. So I can go to conference at UCLA underground and boom, be there in like, what, two or three minutes? Whoa. Then it'll take me 25 minutes to park. Yeah. A couple of people on uh, the Twitter have been criticizing Tom for being so down on this boring machine and that's never going to happen. We'll see. It's not going to happen anytime soon. And I'm so glad you said that because I didn't know that snails tunneled and you just told me he's not really talking about boring snails. He's just talking about the speed at which snails move. That's right. I think you had it right in the first place. You were just tripped up by the whole boring and the snail, which is kind of boring. Uh, Do you know what uh, Gary the snail and Godzilla have in common. Gary the Snail and Godzilla. Um, it's not size. It's not speed. Uh, no, I don't. Gary's not terrifying. No, he's not. He doesn't destroy skyscrapers. No, he's doesn't, not Japanese. Doesn't breathe fire. No. No. So it turns out Gary, and I put out a tweet of what Gary looks like. Uh, Gary is this bizarre looking snail. He lives at Bikini Bottom, mm-hmm. which I believe is Bikini Atoll. And Bikini Atoll is where the United States tested 20-plus nuclear bombs, including some that were so enormous that they, they like, took out a lot more of the atoll than they expected. There's a very long and very sad story about Bikini Atoll because there were people, Bikinians, 140-some-odd people who lived there. That was their home. And they were relocated, like, multiple times, starved. There was a, you know, a bunch of them died off. It's just a really horrific story of United States imperialism before and after World War II when they were using this one atoll for all of these nuclear tests. But it turns out Bikini Atoll, Bikini Bottom, and all of these bizarre creatures are likely the result of nuclear radiation. So that's where Godzilla came from because he was sort of an iguana that got irradiated and turned really big and then attacked Tokyo. Yes. Why Tokyo? Tokyo didn't do anything to that at all. I think uh, Japanese folklore has this sort of nuclear radiation underpinning. There's like this you know, belief about how terrible nuclear right. is, and that's why they built all the nuclear power plants and let one uh, not be quite properly constructed for a tidal wave and backup power. And Oh, dear. It's already yeah, happening. It's hey, happening. let's talk about batteries. So electric gives a little story here about a Tesla researcher that says they've doubled the lifetime of a battery – one year into a five-year plan. So they got some oh, money from the oh, Canadian government, so some matching cool. money. Yeah. And they said, okay, go do some research on batteries because that would be a really good thing. And this guy called Jeff Dunn yes. gave a talk at MIT. And he said, you know, uh, we're one year into this five-year research sort of effort. And we've already doubled 
the uh, ability, or actually it should be a halving, of the degradation of the battery. They came up with this way of rapidly being able to charge and discharge batteries so that they could test different chemistries. So one year in, they said, we've already come up with the chemistry that makes these batteries twice as good for cycling, which is a huge, huge deal. And they said, obviously, we're not going to stop because their plan was, by the end of five years, can you double it? And he's like, well, we did in the first year. Yeah. This is, I think, fantastic, not even just for uh, EVs, but it's really for the daily cycling for home energy. So if they can reduce degradation by another half, that is fantastic. So basically, over the lifespan of your car, an insignificant amount of drop in um, the ability of the battery to hold a charge is what they're saying. Well, real-world numbers go like this. So Jeff Don is from Darwin, Darwini University in Nova Scotia. I've always wanted to go to Nova Scotia. Maybe I will on another show. And so he's up there. He's this battery guru. He's like one of the leading battery experts, and he has a whole team of people that work with him. And Tesla like scored him a year ago. Uh, he was working for 3M, and then Tesla came around and they says, hey, um, we'd like to fund some battery research, and we'd like to have you exclusively ours. And he was all on with it. He got a Tesla out of it, and there were pictures. We covered this like months ago. Maybe it was a year ago. In fact, um, his numbers are this. Uh, a Tesla right now with the type of batteries used in the car at 50,000 miles should have something like a 5% reduction in battery uh, capacity. Mine, my experience is much less, but yeah. that's and, what and he sort says. And the published experience of a lot of people is less than that, but go on. And he said that, uh, and then after that, quote, rapid degradation to 95%, over the next uh, 100,000 miles, so from 50 to 150,000 miles, you'll see another 5% degradation. So 200,000 miles, 90% of your original charge capacity, that's pretty damn good. That's fantastic. Yeah. And so what he's now got is a battery that will go 300,000 miles and lose only 5%. Which is stunning. Amazing. That means your car is is easily good for 20 years. That's if you drive 15,000 miles a year. 15 years, your battery is no, no, no problem. It is actually – it is a huge deal. And then you don't have to actually recycle the battery. You right. can just reuse the battery. And we've learned from ICE cars as well that ICE cars have degradation that is also quite profound and much worse than this battery technology now. Right. So over time, your ICE car, even if you do everything right, gets worse and worse and worse in its miles per gallon. Right. And so it turns out that the batteries th – this technology they're already using in the power walls and the power packs with the 2,100 cells, they're already using this type. And it has to do with if it's magnesium or cobalt or – I can't remember all of the battery chemistries. But the ones they put in the power pack power walls have this increased lifespan, but they don't um, cycle. They don't like discharge quite as fast. So it's not like you can use those in the car. But the, what they're doing is they're trying to improve the car battery chemistry, protecting the anode, etc. So this is really wonderful news. They've reached their five-year goal in one year. What are they going to do in the next four years? Yeah, unfortunately, science is not linear. So sometimes you have these breakthroughs that occur after a little bit of research and sometimes you don't get very far after a lot. So there's no guarantee that they're going to make this even better. But uh, nice start to your five-year plan. Good work, Tesla and Canadians. And I can say that uh, this sort of makes me feel even better about J.B. Straubel and Elon and their sort of vision to stick with lithium-ion can cells, that's the small, like larger than a AAA, but 
uh, larger than a double A battery, but still that that form factor to stick with that. There's another organization out there that there was a news article on, which was taking the same technology, lithium ion, with the same sort of cathode anodes, and they said, well, why make them into little cells? Because you're going to have a lot of space around them. Let's make them into flat packs. Mm -hmm. And they built a battery over the same size as the batteries in a Model S. So in other words, the same cubic inch uh, size that could go at the bottom of a car, these flat cells, and they said that that could go a 1,000 kilometers. 600 miles. Yes. And what happened with that battery? Well, this is at the theory stage. They've built small ones. We don't know how it's going to scale up. We're not going to, we don't know how it's going to be cooled or, or what the other dynamics of this are. But again, here we are, Tesla, JB, Tesla engineers, inspiring the entire you know, community of cars and power storage to do better and try new ideas. And, you know, this just gives me so much faith and uh, improves my depression over the state of the uh, of the everything. So uh, the other big thing that people are talking a lot about is solid state lithium. But the difference is if you're like us and you look at this stuff and you've got your Google alerts on battery technology and stuff, every day, every week, somebody's like, well, we've got a new thing in the lab and we've got a new thing in the lab and it's going to be five times better than the thing. But this is about here and now, baby cow. So right now, Tesla has the best technology and continues to get the best technology. And I hear these other manufacturers saying how they're going to just crush Tesla in 2020 with their cars, but they don't have the tech yet. They don't have the capacity. So I think as Elon has suggested last week, he wouldn't really like to be these people who are trying to catch up because they're so far ahead. They will catch up. I hope they catch up. That's good. I want every manufacturer to make electric vehicles, but right now they have the tech and the battery capacity. So I don't see these other people catching up for at least a few years. And like you say, they they bet big on lithium. There was no guarantee five or 10 years ago that this was the right way to go. But it is appearing that for now, they chose the right technology. Should we buy some uh, property in Perth? Perth, Not Australia, mate. I'm ready Big to go lithium. down to Perth, yeah. Well, we still don't know where uh, Gigafactories uh, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 are going to be, but we should hear by the end of the year. Now, if you listen to the show for more than five minutes, you know that one of my greatest anxieties in life is superchargers. I don't actually use superchargers very much, but I'm anxious about them. We need lots of them. There are more coming. Robert, give us an update. Update this week. It's a good week. We've got five more open superchargers. We've got three in Hong Kong. Now, if you think about the size of Hong Kong and you charge your Model S up to whatever, 60 kilowatt hours or 100 kilowatt hours, yes. you could drive around Hong Kong for probably a month <laughs> It's not with big. that much energy. So why you need to have three superchargers probably speaks to metro charging. And yes. Tom's issue about, well, if you're going to buy an electric car, you should charge it at home. But in places like Hong Kong, when you live in – I don't know if you've seen – I've watched architecture videos of Hong Kong with my son because he's very interested in architecture. And they have literally cities that are above 20 stories. In other words, there are links between buildings and you can do your shopping, eat out, go to a movie and never go below the 20th floor. Wow. It's amazing. The whole city has built up because there's no land. So if you live in a building with like 1,200 people and, you know, how many how, – what kind of competition for a charger in the building might there even be if there were a bank of chargers? So here we've got Tesla installing a bunch of superchargers in Hong Kong. I love the names of the places. Uh, Hong Kong, 
popcorn, <laughs> Hong Kong elements,、yeah. and Hong Kong Maritime Square. These are basically metro chargers that people can use once a month or once a couple of weeks, and、uh, maybe on their drive between Shenzhen. In Hong Kong to check up on their factory, they can、uh, they can use the supercharger there. Also, Tupelo, Mississippi, yay Tupelo reminds me of Van Morrison, and Sydney, Nebraska. Oh, not Australia. Sad. So more coming.、Um, as we've sort of said, they made a big announcement that they're going to be doubling the number of superchargers and the number of nozzles is going to go up an enormous amount. That's good. Keep it going. Come on. And actually, if I look at the map around where we live here, Robert, there's one coming like every twenty miles, ten miles,、yes. all the way up the coast. It's pretty cool. Right nearby here in Northridge, there's going to be a supercharger.、Yeah. There are three permitted superchargers, and what's interesting is that one of them is in Michigan. You remember Michigan is one of those states where you cannot buy a Tesla. No, but you now, can charge it. You can now charge. Well, it's gone to permit stage in Marshall, Michigan, and、uh, there's also Norway's going to be getting one. It's going into the permit stage. Spain has got one in the permit stage and under construction. And then in Missouri, in Osage Beach, another one has just entered construction. So let's do letters. We have a lot of good letters. Are we going to talk about the launch? Oh my gosh, you're right. There's a launch tonight, which will have been a day or so ago when you listen to this. But they are doing a launch tonight, and I guess it's something that has to go far out into space. Yeah, and is very heavy, so they're not going to re-land it. They're just going to fire it out all the way out into the spacey space and not bring it back, which is sad because I love it's the best part of the rocket launches now is the coming back. Yeah, imagine how much more expensive it is to send a satellite that goes so far or is so heavy that you cannot bring back. The the the、uh, Falcon Nine. That means the cost of that launch has got to be thirty percent more, or even more than that. So this is a Boeing built satellite, MR MRSat. It's MRSat Five, and it's the first time that Tesla, or I should say, <laughs> SpaceX, has launched a satellite for this organization.、Uh, they're going to have a YouTube. If you look at space dot com,、uh, they have it up on their、uh, like featured articles page. You can watch it. Uh, probably after the fact, since this won't get to you until after it's launched.、Um, so let's do letters. Sam Mara says, "Mel, you are not the smart one."、Um, I said you, and I agreed with Tom. So we got a lot of pushback on this. That if you live in a big city like New York and you live in an apartment,、um, you can't possibly own a、uh, an electric car because if there's not a charger at work, how are you possibly going to charge? And he says, "Look, you are so stupid." And there were about twenty people that said the same thing. That in New York there are lots and lots of chargers everywhere. That if you go and charge in your garage, there's a often a dude will plug it in for you, or there's multiple chargers there. And these charging infrastructure throughout、um, uh, Manhattan, for example, is pretty pronounced. He actually shows us a picture from PlugShare, and they're I put those everywhere. In there,、yeah. Oh, you put those in? Yeah, they're everywhere. And in fact, he says. There's actually more charging infrastructure than there is gas refilling infrastructure in New York, for example. And we talked about that. That they they sort of pass that that point at which there are more plugs in New York City, Manhattan specifically, than there are places to get gasoline. And there are going to be three new superchargers. So I juxtaposed a map here off of the Tesla website for superchargers, and you can see that there's three. Planned superchargers within Manhattan, at downtown, midtown, and uppertown, alongside the、uh, Central Park, and then also in Brooklyn, there's two superchargers planned. So 
a lot of superchargers coming to this New York City, and that just makes owning a Tesla better. And there's lots of other chargers for all the other EVs. So Sam uh, got the message, and in fact, a couple of other people, like I said, said the same things. Uh, get your facts right. You're an idiot. Okay. Thank you. I wonder how much the superchargers in Manhattan will promote limousine services mm-hmm. to use electric vehicles. Electric X's. In yeah. fact, a friend of the show, Ken Milne, who's an emergency physician up in Canada, he, uh, I can't remember where he was in some Canadian city, but he um, ordered a car to take him to go give a lecture. That car was a beautiful X. Ooh. It was very nice. Ryan Elson says, trees versus snow versus solar roof. Now, this is a really interesting letter. So Ryan lives where there is not much uh, light. And lots of snow. And trees. And lots of trees. South Lake Tahoe. South Lake Tahoe. So uh, very snowy, very cold, but very beautiful. He said there was quite a ton of snow. A special amount of ton. Yeah. Starts with an F. (laughs) I don't know what type of ton that could be. So uh, he really wants to get solar roof, and he really wants to create his own electricity, and he really wants to plug his car into this stuff. And he's been told by a number of installs, there are too many trees, there's too much snow, it's not worth it. So he did a little bit of his... Uh, a little work on his own. So he went to the Sierra Club. And there on the Sierra Club, they specifically um, ask questions like, which trees are the best to carbon sequestrate and suck up carbon? And if I had solar panels and shading from trees, should I cut those trees down or should I use uh, or leave them there and not have solar panels? And it turns out that in many circumstances across sort of a range of variables, mm-hmm. it's actually better for the, your carbon footprint to cut down those trees that are shading your panels and have your panels making electricity. And that's through a wide range of variables. So I really do suggest you go check out this um, link because I found it very helpful because I've been struggling with the same thing. I'm getting a lot of shading on my panels right now and I was thinking, boy, it would be really nice to take down that tree or at least to hack it back substantially. And they're saying, um, depending on the circumstances, that might be a reasonable thing to do and then go plant the tree somewhere else. And this is not from some uh, seemingly biased website. This comes from the Sierra Club, and uh, that makes that makes me feel more comfortable. In fact, I've just put down on my to-do list to call the fellow that we use to cut trees because we have these three tall, narrow trees that stick up on one side of our property to shade the house to keep it cool in the summer. Mm-hmm. But they are blocking part of the day on one to one and a half panels. And so uh, even though our Systems producing as much as we expected. I uh, I want more. Now he also says there's a lot of snow there, and you can get um, solar panels that have little heaters in them, so that they heat up just a little bit, melt the snow, and it falls off. And as it's falling off, it cleans the solar panels. Also, depending on um, the type of panel and how much snow, you can actually get some light coming through the snow. And so, even if it's covered in snow, your panels can be making some electricity. What we still don't know, I don't believe about the Tesla solar roof is whether they're going to have things like microinverters. I assume they are. Remember that usually you get a solar panel with a string inverter. So you link up a whole bunch of panels. They're on one inverter. And if there's a little bit of shading just on one panel, the entire system's output goes way down. Whereas microinverters are little inverters under each panel so that if you shade one panel, it doesn't affect the other. And so if you have shading issues, it's much better. I assume that the Tesla solar roof is going to have some form of microinverters, but I don't know. Another known unknown. We'll find out soon enough, I hope. Now, uh, Bobby, and his name is pronounced Parmelo. Is that right? That's Parmelo. right. Bobby Parmelo said, look, hey, you asked for uh, suggestions, and he's got a suggestion in terms of media, which is 
Pandora's Promise, which is about the rise of environmentalists buying into nuclear energy again. So right. the environmental movement in the 70s was like, nuclear bad because you turn it into bombs and because it's going to stay for 100,000 years. Right. And now, and I've noticed this too, I read a fair number of environmental books, a lot of environmentalists that were once against nuclear are saying, you know what, this is way less toxic, particularly if you use new technologies, than uh, it used to be. You don't have to make bombs out of this stuff and the carbon footprint is zero and it's a great way to have wind, solar, Title and then nuclear energy is probably the best way to do this. And you did some research that says that there's actually way new, more interesting nuclear technologies that we could use that's safer. Please explain. It is vaporware at this point because they haven't really done it at utility scale. But this is something that I wanted to talk about many, many months ago, and that is thorium reactors, uh, liquefied salt reactors. Basically, this is fourth-generation nuclear reactors that don't have the same principles as the typical nuclear reactors that have been proliferative all across the planet. You'll remember that nuclear reactors were first sort of promoted because you could put them on something like an aircraft carrier, which is a ginormous ship that has a huge energy need that you could not keep fueled and going for long periods of time using diesel or other type of petroleum. So they created these reactors. They had to be small. They couldn't have a lot of, um, I don't know, complication. I'll just put it at that. And so they created two different kinds of reactors. And the one that the government ended up going for was the one that could create plutonium from uranium. And the plutonium could be harvested and put into bombs. And that was one of the big features. But the type of generation four nuclear reactors are quite amazing because they do a number of things. One, they can create plutonium, but at the same time, they use the plutonium. So there's the, if you think about the periodic table, there's small things and big things. The big things tend to be more radioactive because they're unstable and they pop apart and they release neutrons. And so the new generation nuclear reactors will take all of that radioactive material and it creates more radioactive material, but it consumes all of it. In fact, one one hundredth of the nuclear waste from a breeder reactor versus the typical type of reactor. And that means that you don't have to refill them as often. That means that in many cases, you don't even have to refine the uranium as much to put it into the reactor to get it to work. And it has to do with the physics and the mechanics of how the nuclear material interacts with itself. And they make them so that they cannot run away. So this is like the molten salt reactors. There's a lot about it on the internet. We don't have the time to talk about it, but I've put a couple of links in here to Wikipedia pages, and the reality is that uh, these reactors have been built and have worked in a a research setting, and Russia was making a huge advance in that, and then something happened in Russia, Chernobyl. Oopsie. The United States was making some really great inroads into this, and something happened here, Three Mile Island. And so uh, recently we had Fukushima. So every time one of the old style reactors runs away and burns up and releases a bunch of bad radiation, people get really upset and really down on nuclear. But the reality is that you cannot paint it with one brush. There are many different versions and many different technologies. And the reality is that nuclear could be a really good underpinning for the electricity grid to keep the grid integrity intact so that we could have solar when it's really sunshiny and at nighttime we don't. And we could have uh, wind when it's really windy and when it's not 
we can always have nuclear to back us up and keep the grid from collapsing. So uh, Bill Gates is a big nuclear energy guy. He gave a TED Talk a couple of years, and he's really pushing this idea of these new reactors. And I didn't realize that they weren't sort of really real yet. But he's been talking about these same kind of technologies. And you basically build a reactor, and you dig a big hole, and you put it in there, and that reactor basically goes for 50 years. And when it's done, it's already sealed up, and you can move on. So Bill Gates, smart guy, lots of money, is putting a lot of money into this same kind of technology. Now, Bobby also says that he's a... MRAP listener, so he's an ER doc, and he wants to know where our other podcast, This Won't Hurt a Bit, which is the medical show for non-doctors. It's coming back soon, Bobby. Thank you for asking. Very soon. We've got like three or four already done, so that'll be coming back, and I'll tell all of the Talking Tesla people about that more soon. Now, here's another media tick from uh, Lucien Wu, who says, um, this is a book, Start With Why. This book talks about how some individuals and great businesses are able to generate a following and loyalty because they started with asking themselves why. It explains why it feels natural for Tesla, a car manufacturer, to sell home storage and for Daimler, a uh, car manufacturer, to sell home storage. And uh, it's Doesn't a fantastic book. Doesn't make sense for Daimler to do it. Yeah, I don't see how Daimler makes sense, but I do see how Tesla makes sense. But I have to read the book. Yeah. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, a lot of people are really into this idea that they can share some of their thoughts about what we should be reading and listening to. So Josh Leonard from Minneapolis says, uh, I have sent you a sort of an email a long time ago, and uh, I've got a listen leaf, and we are making fun of him like, well, here's your first problem, is you live in a godforsaken hellhole that is cold all the time. Ah! And he goes, well, actually, that's probably true, but I've also been doing my homework. So he's got a leaf. And he wanted to know how the range would change over time. So he made this incredible spreadsheet where he looks at his average kilowatt hours per mile over the whole year. Right. And he shows in summary that there's almost a twofold difference in range for this leaf when it's really, 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 really cold versus when it's not so really, really, really cold. And so that leaf can get anywhere from like 45 miles up to about 90 miles. And we know this. Now, I don't think the Leaf's technology is as good as the Tesla's, so you right. will get less mileage in your Tesla because you'll have the heater on and other stuff. Um, but the Leaf is really affected by it. So thank you for that information. Useful for people who are up where it's freezing and thinking about a Leaf. Remember, you're going to get a lot less range when it's cold. Yeah, well, this is sort of like it's an order of magnitude difference. And the meaning is this is why Tesla uses temperature management technology in the battery. And we've talked about it's not just the battery cells. It's not just the battery chemistry. It's actually the structures around the battery and how the battery is used that will determine your ultimate range. And this is one of the reasons why Tesla injected itself immediately into the Norwegian market. Up in Norway, it gets how cold? Really cold. Yeah, really effing cold. And while you're in Norway, if you're driving on an electric car and it's really, really cold and you get really, really stopped because your battery runs out. Oopsie. That's really, really bad. And so Tesla uses battery temperature uh, manipulation technology and the Nissan Leaf for the first iterations, I don't know if they're using it in the most recent Leaf, but they were not. And this is one of the reasons why your battery would not last as long and not provide you as much reliable range. And thanks, Josh, for this detail. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Now, I had a uh, first-generation Leaf, and I love that car. I've talked about it many times on the show. I really loved it. It's a zippy, fun little car. But its um, battery was terrible. Um, 60 miles range 
in uh, LA, which is sort of, you know, should be good for a, a battery, not cold, not too hot where I was. But uh, it really didn't go very far. But I think the new Leafs, and I, hopefully there is talk that the next Leaf is going to have a 200-mile range because mm. they really have limited themselves. They Nissan really was way ahead of the curve, ahead of Tesla, ahead of everybody. They came out with a mass-market electric car. It sold very well. But they didn't really move the technology in the last six years. So they're way behind now. So I'm hoping a 200-mile um, Leaf is in the offing soon. I've got a letter here from Leo from Down Under. He's from Australia, mate. And he says he didn't think many Aussies cared about uh, things environmental, which is really interesting that you say that because when I grew up there, I thought Australia was a very environmentally friendly sort of place, but apparently it's moved um, away from that over the years, particularly when it comes to the use of coal, because Australia just has so much coal. There's this push to use the coal. Well, we've got coal. Why would you do anything else? Um, Now there is a big move to sort of renewables, and there is this one group called AGL that has been pushing this idea of give us a buck a day and we'll uh, look after your car for you. We'll install a charger. We'll let you drive as far as you like, all for a buck a day. So he says this is something that's pretty interesting occurring in Australia. And I like that idea, amortizing the cost over time. For a lot of people, it makes it a lot easier. buck a day, that's less than a cup of coffee a day. Right. And all my driving, great. But if you say, give me $600 up front, and then people are like, nah. So I like this idea. Stephen Peters, with lots of E's in his name, um, <laughs> says, look, I noticed something here, lads, that if you go onto the Tesla configurator and configure yourself up a nice S, not that you would because Robert Mel just got a new one, but if you did that, you notice that uh, you can get a high-speed charger on the 100 and the 100 DL. But if you try and get a high-speed charger on the 75 or the 90, uh-uh. It's not there anymore. That's right. So I actually went on the website to confirm this, and that is true. Yes. So you can only get the faster AC charging on the bigger battery. That's the dual chargers. Right, and which allows you to do about a mile per minute of charge. From your home plug. From your home plug. Now, this happened before when they came out You know, about a year ago. You could get the dual charges, but you had to hit option something or other on the website to make right. it pop up. I don't know if that still exists, but certainly on the standard configurator without any tricks, you can't get the faster charging on the 75 and the 90. And I want to know why. Probably because uh, not that many people bought it. I don't expect that many people were interested. Unless you had a big capacity car, you probably don't care. I got it. I only got it because you said it was useful I haven't used it yet in 2,500 miles. Oh, great. I I bought the charger, but I still have to – in my house, I actually have to change the power box, the panel that's outside. And I have to get the power company to once again begrudgingly agree to allow me to pull 300 amps off of the the power pole. Mm -hmm. And I have to upgrade the wiring from my box to the site where the charger will be all toll. Probably between four and five thousand dollars. Yeah, that can be expensive to get this really fast charging because it's eighty amps, which in most U.S. households is more than the rest of the house combined would takes from the grid. So right. most people have to upgrade. So I've I've gone sort of back and forth on this. At first, a, a year or two ago, I said, "Look, you just don't need that faster charging. You plug in overnight and you're good." Then I had two electric cars, and there have been a number of circumstances where. Uh, the wife uh, or I have said, oh, forgot to charge the car. I got about an hour. I need to get 50 miles on it. And it's really nice for it to charge that fast. So since I have two Teslas in the back garden there, um, I do find it useful. But for the vast majority of people, you don't need that rapid charging. You just plug it in overnight, call it done. 
Although in another, I don't know, six months, nine months, you'll have the Northridge supercharger. You could just drive over there. Boom. 20 minutes. Boom. Boom you're done. Boom, done. Yeah. But I won't do that because I'm going to do the right thing. Joel Sapp um, talking about super volcanoes and eclipses. So we talked a number of weeks ago about if your grid is really based on solar and then you have a big event like, I don't know, a super plume uh, volcano explodes, yeah, like that would the, be bad. Like the one in Iceland, Ischakafakchua. Don't swear at me. Yeah, no, that, that's the name. It's got all the consonants in it. Well, Joel reminds us that there is a big eclipse event that is occurring August 21st here in North America. So uh, the moon is becoming uh, between uh, the sun and the earth, and there's so much solar in places like California now that it's actually going to be a big deal. So they expect that what's going to happen is that it's going to knock out 70 megawatts of electricity and fast. So this thing comes over and you get this giant drop in the generation from your solar plant. And then when it goes away, it comes back up really quick. They've actually been doing their homework. They've anticipated this. And so they're sort of storing up some uh, hydro and they're getting the gas plants ready for when this occurs. But it's an interesting problem that I never thought about. When you have a big eclipse event, if you've got lots of solar, you're going to lose energy for a while, but then it's going to come back. Yeah, Once you've got distributed energy, when everybody's got a couple of Tesla Powerwalls, it won't be a big deal. But until right. that time, the grid is uh, under a little bit of a stress. And it's only a momentary thing. The, the eclipse starts in Oregon, ends in South Carolina. The band of total 100% blockage of the sun is actually quite narrow. And it's going across many states in which nobody has solar. Uh, but Oregon might be affected the uh, the thought about the power wall in your house is a really interesting idea. And it turns out here in Los Angeles, uh, I think it's the Department of Water and Power will actually now pay you or might be statewide something like $5,000 to install a Tesla power wall. And then the power that you store in that wall is actually available to the utility. So they could draw it during times of stress on the utility grid. And this is actually happening in Vermont as well. Tesla just signed a deal with Green Mountain Power to put power packs on people's houses. And for them, it's only going to cost $1,500 or $15 a month to put a power wall on your house that will be available to the community. And I, you know, why not? I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I saw a couple of flies in the mail here in uh, Los Angeles that basically you can get a power wall for free using one of these uh, government programs. And uh, I'm certainly going to you know, do that for fun and help out the grid and uh, to play with the power wall. I just need uh, to get my um, roof up in the next month or two. I hope. I, I hope. I'll let you know. Kip Spanbauer, friend of the show, says, hey, have you been on the Model 3 counter lately? He uh, went on there, and at first it said his spot is 102. Now, remember, this counter says, um, are you an employee or not? Uh, when did you put in your reservation? And a couple of other things, and it tries to guesstimate when you're going to see your car and what um, number you're at. So he did his. He's now at February 2018, the 96,000th delivery. Now, I went on there, and I played with it, and it says, Mel, your March 2018 is oh. when you're going to see it. How's that possible? You've had 25 Teslas already. I know. And uh, about 140,000 on the list there. But it turns out that I um, put in my reservation online. I didn't stand in line like Robert, but I put it online and I did it really early. But I didn't get the email back for a couple of days. It was a big, long delay. And so now the Model 3 counter is trying to estimate 
not uh, when you got the email back, but when you actually placed the order. So this mm. is just a fun thing to play with if you want to know approximately uh, when you're going to get your Model 3. Have they added in, like, did you reserve one or two? I didn't see that. And they didn't actually – I don't remember them asking me if I had a prior Tesla and maybe none of that stuff right. matters. It does. It's supposed to matter very much. Well, we'll see if this thing is accurate. It's Since I don't actually need a Model 3 right now, I'm still a, a quandary as like, I have two uh, deposits down. What am I going to do? I thought you really want a Model Y. I do want a Model Y. Or was it a pickup truck? I want that as well. Oh. And a semi. So I still don't know what to do. I'm hoping what I'll – what I'm thinking I'm going to do – is and you know I've talked about this before. Is that I'll delay, 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 delay. My son is graduating; he's going off to college, and I'd really love to get into a safe electric vehicle. It's way too much car for a new uh, sort of grad, but the alternative is to have my son, who wants to be an electrical engineer, driving around in an ice car. So hopefully, the Tesla network will be up, and I can rationalise it to myself and to my wife. And well, while he's in class, it's just going to drive around and pay for itself. Right. Uh, that's what I expect, too. Although in Vermont, where my son is going to go to college, uh, I don't know if there's that much call for that. But this leads us, uh, if he's interested in electrical engineering, maybe he should be here to present this letter from David Urquhart, who uh, was talking back to me about the Model Y and the electrical system, the CAN buses, and the massive paradigm shift that Tesla is going to undergo in the design of that car to make it so that it only requires, you know, like one length of spaghetti of wiring. Yeah, some Cat 5. So he links us to a number of different videos. If you're interested in this, it's fascinating that cars are based on a 12-volt system and have been for 60 years, but it's very antiquated. It's outdated. It's silly. People are moving to a 48-volt system, and that allows them to do lots of things like spin and electric motors and do lots of interesting things, but at a voltage that doesn't kill you if you grab a hold of it kind of thing. So if you're interested in this... Um, it really uh, is not just Tesla that's moving to a 48-volt system, but it seems that most car manufacturers are going to move away from the antiquated 12-volt system to the 48-volt system. And just so you know, this is not the voltage that runs the motors on your tires, as it were, on a Tesla. That is a 375-volt system. Right. Much different. You do not want to grab that puppy. No, that's why the, the, the wires are like as thick as your thumb or at least as thick as my thumb. And they have lots of signage around them like high voltage, high voltage, high voltage. Yeah. In the, the bolt, in grandpa's bolt, when you lift up the hood, there's uh, you see a lot of these uh, high voltage sort of um, wires and they are big and thick and they do have lots of signs saying, don't touch me. Yeah. I like that Teslas are all hidden away, so I can't touch them unless I really tried. Uh, Brian Anderson, who was telling me about the wavy lines and he thinks that my car is just sort of getting smarter and correcting for it, said, since you're not driving that much, why don't you just lend your car to Tom to drive around so that he can put more miles on it? Um, not not going to happen, Brian. Not going to happen. Imagine we have this reverse system right now. You drive around and you see some like compact car with signage all around it that says student driver and such and such driving school. And they're kind of now we're going to take the instructors who are instructing the teenagers to drive to come and drive our Teslas around until our Teslas are seasoned. And I wonder what will be the burn in period for a Tesla, be it a Model 3, S, Y, if when the Tesla um, sort of network is up and running and you buy a Tesla and you're thinking, great, I'm going to put my car on the network so that it can make back my monthly payment. Yes. It may be many months before your car is seasoned enough and knowledgeable enough 
to drive around on that network to make you back the money. So there may be this sort of like you have to consider like the the expense of owning your car, depending on how much you drive for like three months or six months or nine months before the car is you know, certified to be driving at level five. So there's two levels of learning that it's occurring that's just occurring to me in the last few weeks. There's the group learning that all the cars are getting smarter and they're learning, but then there's also your car's getting smarter and it's calibrating and uh, that can take a while if you're not doing too many miles, which is what you're saying. I've been going through this thing where I'm trying to drive less and less and less. I, the studio here's a mile from my house and so instead of driving it, I walk it. It's good for the, my health and it's, it's good for the environment because you know what's even better than an electric car? Is not driving the electric car and walking. Mm. So there you go. It's even better for your heart. And it'll be good for when I uh, have to get rid of it and get my Model Y or semi-trailer because (laughs) it won't have many miles in it. Guy called Tony, and I can't pronounce his last name. Baragona. Tony Baragona. Baragona. Is another person that says, don't be ignorant. There's plenty of ways that you can have an electric car, even if you don't have a charger at home or at work. And he says, do a little thing called like Google. Just Google it, and there's all these people that talk about it, and it's uh, it's absolutely doable, so don't be ignorant, s-ts. We want more people in electric vehicles, so don't turn them off. Ah, you ignorant s-ts. Mark Allen sent out a great tweet, and it says this. One of the highlights of my week is getting into my Tesla and listening to the three idiots at Talking Tesla talk about all the subjects that he likes, which is uh, very nice, Mark, I think. Yeah, Mark and I tweet back and forth. He's over in the England, and uh, I get some perspective from what's going on there. He... I think he's the guy who jived me when I created all of my uh, Tesla Wiggle videos, which should be out soon. They should be out yeah. this week. I, I think, think I, I sent out a picture and he says, buddy, you're, you're doing it on the wrong side. <laughs> Steve Wan says uh, – and actually sent us an audio uh, email, which I think we're going to drop in here. But basically we talked about how much it is to put a Tesla charger in and he says – Hey, guys. Steve from Orlando, Florida. Just wanted to chime in on the charger installation cost. On our second home now with a 1450 outlet and here in Florida a lot of the electrical panels are in the garage makes it very easy both cases I spent less than $200 with parts and just paid an electrician about a hundred bucks to install it so very easy I hear thousand bucks 500 bucks all these expensive uh, charger installations but I see it being able to be much less than that here in Orlando, anyways. Thanks a lot. Great job of the show. Yeah, evidently in Florida, they put the the, uh, the power box in the garage. If you park in the garage, the power is right there. All you need to do is run a plug down. You put in a, uh, a NEMA 1540 plug, which is the four big prongs that looks like a dryer plug. And mm-hmm. boom, 200 bucks, 300 bucks. He had it all installed. And uh, what I think we were referring to when it came to $500 is that's about the cost of the Tesla wall charger, which is a very slick, very nice wall charger. And that's the one that can actually do twice as much as the NEMA 1450. It can get you uh, a 78 amp charge rate, which is fantastic if you uh, have no patience. That's right. And actually, it turns out, because I was looking at this, that you can then uh, string one Tesla charger to another Tesla charger to another Tesla charger, and they're smart enough so that if you plug in like four Teslas at once, it will distribute the energy, and when one's full, it'll go up in the other one. So if you're in a situation like at work or something where you want to have multiple charges, the Tesla charger is a pretty good way to go. So uh, Jeff Decker sends us a couple of pictures, and uh, he said... I uh, recently saw this uh, uh, photovoltaic setup, and I took some pictures because I got a few questions. So underneath each of the panels is this little 
boxy thing. And he goes, is that the microinverter system that you're talking about? And indeed it is. So under each of these panels is this little box and it's a microinverter. And so that means, as we've talked about already on this show, that if you get shading normally on a string inverter system, you reduce the amount of energy that your PV system is putting out substantially. But on a microinverter system, you can completely shade one panel. It's not going to affect the other panels. So there's definite upsides to them. The downside to them is that they weren't very good. They were Chinese manufacturers in the past, and uh, they broke all the time. But now the uh, manufacturer on the good ones is supposedly much better. So microinverter systems, if you're having a lot of shading issues, is probably a good way to go, even though the upfront cost is a little bit less. And I wasn't clear about what he was saying about why is this EV charger got two nozzles. Um, I don't know. That's good. I'm not sure what your point there was. So remember SpaceX, although it will have occurred already, but you could probably go back to, what is it, space.com and catch uh, the replay, as it were. Or on SpaceX.com. They always put uh, highlights. They, you know, Elon tweets out images on his Twitter account or actually on his Instagram account, which I've started following. And um, I'm looking forward to just another <sighs> boring, boring launch. Yeah, you should follow Elon's Instagram. He's been pretty busy on Instagram recently. He's been busy on Twitter for a long time. But check out his Instagram account. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, a number of you have asked me to do a behind-the-scenes videos of the studio and I'll start doing that because there's going to be a lot of movement this week in terms of the video studio because we would like to do some more videos and throw them up on YouTube. So I'm going to get busy with that for you. But uh, otherwise, uh, Tom. 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 Hello. Tom. Tom. Wake up, Tom. Are you there? Are you, are you working hard, Tom? Tom will be back. He'll be back soon, exhausted, but uh, having done a great job for all those ER docs out there that do such wonderful work, he's going to be helping educate them. It's a beautiful it, thing. It's a good thing. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Mel Herbert. His I'm name's Robert, Robert Rosenblum. Yo. It turns out that this was a short show because Tom wasn't here to butt in all the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's not going to listen to this, so whatever. Yeah. Talk Tom, to you next week. 75, Tom. I'll ask you for the number next week. There you go. Bye-bye. Talking Tesla is a production of Fully Boo Incorporated. Hosted by Mel Herbert, Tom Wilson, and Robert Rosenblum. Edited by Eliza Jane Barnes. And produced by C.C. Herbert and Mel Herbert. To support Talking Tesla, go to patreon.com forward slash talking Tesla. To find our referral codes, go to talkingtesla.net forward slash about. And finally, if you love the show, go write us a review on iTunes.